Welcome to Compassion in a T-Shirt, in session. I'm Dr. Stan Steindl. And welcome back to part two of my conversation with Dr. Tony Fernando, psychiatrist, sleep specialist, and compassion researcher. In part two, Tony talks about his research, exploring compassion amongst doctors, the barriers they face, and strategies to help them cultivate more mindfulness and compassion. I hope you enjoy being in session with my friend, Dr. Tony Fernando. Actually, I have an interesting incident in, the, in that monastery. <laughs> so it was, a, you know, the focus is compassion and non-harming. And, you know, I'm me in my robes. So I'm a Buddhist monk. I have to be kind and compassionate. And then one morning, I have another ant scenario. One morning, I went to my to the toilet. I, I was lucky. As a foreign monk, you have special facilities. <laughs> I had my own I had my own toilet and and bath bathing area, and it was full of ants, red ants. You know, they're the biting ones. Um, so without thinking. I got a jug of water and just splashed it, just, just to clean it. And then I realized, oh my God, I'm supposed to be doing meta, not killing hundreds of ants. So what I did was rescue as many ants as I can. So I went down on my knees, I had a tissue paper and rescuing each one of them. <laughs> but I, I think I rescued most of them. Right. Um, yeah, but so here was I trying to uh, practice meta, and I and I caused genocide in a whole generation of ants in in Yangon. <laughs> it sounds like um, <clears throat> ants are you know sort of one of your greatest teachers in in life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're teachers, big teachers for me. <laughs> now you mentioned your PhD and the the what what seems like a, a very worthy topic of, of helping doctors and nurses and health practitioners, I guess, to, to cultivate compassion. So yeah, could, can, you, can you give us a, a little bit of a, a summary there of, of the work you were doing with your research? So initially my plan was um, to develop a, uh, a training protocol for doctors and eventually nurses and healthcare practitioners a protocol similar to meta practice um, to enhance doctors, nurses' compassion, but a meta practice that's secular. So we don't want it to be associated with a particular religion. So there will be more uptake for people. But when I was doing my literature review, I realized there's not a lot of measurements available. So how will we measure compassion among doctors, among nurses? Um, so we have to scale back our research from the desire to develop a training program to enhance compassion. We had to go back, rewind, and look at what's out there. Then we realized there isn't much out there when it comes to compassion in medicine. So we developed initially a, a, a questionnaire looking at measuring compassion in medicine, really. So it's a barriers to compassion questionnaire. And then from that, we were able to uh, understand compassion more in medicine, like what blocks 
doctors from being compassionate. So uh, a big chunk of my PhD was actually focused on understanding the barriers to doctors' compassion. And what we found out was it makes sense, but we didn't anticipate the results. So um, we found out that there are several barriers to doctors being compassionate. Um, obviously, there will be the doctor factor, uh, the doctor's personality, doctor's burnt out levels, anxiety, neurosis, that can affect their compassion. But what was surprising, surprising and not surprising, was that difficult patients and difficult families significantly impact the compassion levels of doctors. And then um, we also found out that the complexity of the clinical situation also affects compassion levels. And then lastly, the system or the environment where the doctor is embedded in can also influence compassion. So that's actually one of that's one of the key messages of our, uh, messages uh, from my PhD was that compassion is not as simple as telling doctors to be compassionate, be kind. Because a doctor, most doctors want to be kind, but if they're overloaded, if the system doesn't value them, if the doctors are not sleeping, um, or if they're dealing with you know, a system that's not very conducive to compassionate care, or there's too much paperwork that you, in my case, you know, I have so much paperwork, even though I'm already in private practice. If I'm working in public, it will be much, much more, all the regulatory requirements, but the paperwork is immense. Um, and that also can drive compassion levels down. You're, a lot of doctors are more focused on I need to finish my paperwork versus how much time should I spend with this patient? Mm -hmm. um, we, we don't have all the time now to see patients. We have to deal with all sorts of other bureaucratic processes. Mm -hmm. So the system can heavily influence compassion. Yes, it's a, it's a, it's a really kind of complex, multi-dimensional thing. In fact, it was really important to have uh, kind of explored that and discovered those those five areas because had you gone ahead with the original plan that really mm -hmm. would have focused mainly on the doctor on just the doctor factor yeah. yeah whereas what you've discovered is if we're to do this we, we might need to sort of incorporate a whole a, a bit of a range of, of yeah. other other factors and contextual factors to to sort of work towards cultivating or, or kind of you know, sort of maintaining or keeping that compassion that is there for doctors, yeah, but yeah. keeping it kind of going or keeping it, it buoyant in a sense. Actually, another, another take-home message from that is if ever, and that, I hope we deliver it eventually, but if ever we develop uh, strategies to enhance compassion, that these strategies actually have to be uh, specific to the team that we're dealing with. I don't think we have this, uh, we can't have this blanket, you know, protocol. This is how you enhance compassion. You have to individualize because different teams have different characteristics, different behaviors, practices, where you can, um, that you can modulate um, instead of just saying, this is what you need to do. In fact, I'm, I consult with some clinical teams and each team has its own um, 
practices where you can actually intervene. Like for example, you're dealing with the surgical team. One potential practice is before the team works on a patient that everyone like the anesthetist, the surgeon, all the, the nurse, uh, the nurse, the nurses will actually remind, remind themselves we're a team and their focus is to benefit our patient. Just a little reminder, part of their checklist, instead of just focusing on the different checklists you do, you do for surgery, but a reminder, we're a team here. Because if the team is quite dysfunctional, let's say you're, you're dealing with a bully surgeon or an anesthetist who's totally in, unresponsive to the needs, of, you know, that affects the whole dynamic. So looking at team, uh, at teams coming up with what might help them instead of me telling them, this is what you need to do. Because they're smart. They would know, oh, actually, we can actually do this. We can do that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a potential area of work as well, to be specific to a culture of the team or unit that who wants to be more compassionate. I can imagine, for example, a surgical team versus an obstetrics team mm -hmm. versus a palliative care team. I mean, that those, you know, would... Very, very different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, or like in, in my case, for, you know, 20 years, I worked in a public mental health team. And we we were doing things which people didn't, I don't think it was conscious, but people were doing things that actually increased compassion. Um, an example would be when we have team meetings, people will talk about, oh, I'm experiencing some difficulty here. And then with this, this specific patient or client, and then people will actually pitch in and talk about how they can be helped. So it's actually a, a there's a very nice helping environment there, but it wasn't conscious. But you know, if teams can operate like that and identify, actually, we have certain practices that we can enhance um, instead of instead of a consultant coming in, oh, to be more compassionate, do this, do this, do this. Teams know what are the blocks to compassion, what prevents them from being compassionate, and what are the things that they do that they can actually enhance. Yes, it's really that kind of guided discovery process yes. and tapping yes. into the intrinsic wisdom there that, that yeah. certainly be there amongst a, you know, an experienced team. And it reminds me too of, of you know, the old three flows of compassion a little bit mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. you know, how, how does compassion for others, you know, but also receiving compassion from others you know, mm -hmm. on the team or, or with each yeah. other, and then of course, self-compassion and, and how all of that might in fact um, be a part of, of any sort of uh, tailored intervention. For mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Like talking about, sorry, I'm just getting distracted. I just saw, uh, I wanted to show this to you as well. So another thing I do <laughs> is I have this little stickers. I'm not sure if you can oh, see. Oh yes, I can see them now, yeah. Yep. So. So this is something to do with compassion satisfaction. So when I have a patient who tells me that they've improved or how I've helped them was, was really good, after they leave, I, I, I scribble on a little piece of paper what they said. Oh. So once in a while I see, I look at it and it makes me feel good in terms of, not that, oh, I'm a great doctor, no, but it's a reminder, Tony, you can actually help people. Mm. So in, for example, um, I have a patient, I won't mention the name. He has OCD, very bad OCD. 
and his OCD, his obsession is obsessing on, on death, that he will die. So fear of death, like paralyzing fear of death. And then we've done some treatments, you know, medication adjustments, psychological approaches. Um, and then just this week, he said, Tony, I can't believe it, but I have long periods nowadays with no fear of death. And, and for, for me and for that patient and for his father, that's like amazing. Because otherwise 24 seven or while, while he's awake, it's just, it's in his face. So I put that in my little <laughs> sheet of paper with the other comments. And once in a while I look at it. Um, so this is enhancing what we call compassion satisfaction to be happy, to be grateful for the moments of compassion that we have actually helped or compassion that we've done or shared with other people. Mm. Yes, yeah, so if, if, if on the one hand, we're engaging with suffering all day, you mm. know, and, and, and we're sort of <laughs> empathizing and sympathizing with suffering and so on. And yet various things get in the way of, of us mm. being able to help or, or, to, or be helpful, yeah. then that's, that's kind of when we, we get fatigued and exhausted, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, so being able to capture those little moments where, oh, okay, maybe something, maybe I've, I'm cutting through there a little bit. There's, there's, I'm, yeah. I'm able to, to be helpful. And, and, and that, that half of it, you know, seems so important in terms of keeping on going. And that, that's yeah. one of the, I, I can imagine that that runs through the, the five different areas there, you know, the, the sort of the, the doctor factors, the patient and family factors, mm -hmm. the, the clinical situation and, and, and the system, you know, that, that, that if, if we're, if we're just, if there are barriers to us actually being helpful, then, then that would, you know, kind of make it very difficult to, to sustain. In fact, what happens in a lot of clinical teams in medicine um, is that the focus is on mistakes. Yes. Um, when, or or what's, going, what's going wrong. So when there are rounds, or we, we call medical rounds, we talk about patients, almost all the time the focus is on what's going wrong um, to, to the point that it's become an obsession like what's wrong there's always something wrong always something wrong and after rounds you're so exhausted because you're always talking about the mistakes things that have gone wrong patients who've died when in fact it's also important for clinical teams to celebrate you know by the way mrs so-and-so who's been in the hospital for three months she just went home and she's so happy. She gave us this yeah, little things like that. So even, you know, in, in when I was in the public mental health team, you know, we treat people with serious mental illnesses like schizophrenia. And I had a patient, I'll never forget it. When she said, Tony, I just finished my master's degree. And I achieved, and she had schizophrenia, you know, so that's a big celebration for the team. And sometimes there, there are times when families will bring us food and, Again, it's a reminder, you know, despite all the suffering and the dramas, um, we do create change and we do help people, mm. um, which I don't think is, uh, you know, we don't celebrate much about that in the West, uh, like our successes, yeah. particularly with, with, you know, clinical situations. Yes, there is a massive emphasis on reflective practice, but reflecting on what didn't go well and, and trying to improve on that. And I suppose, <laughs> I suppose it's, it's useful in a way, you know, obviously 
to improve outcomes, a surgeon might need mm. to do that. Yeah. Uh, but it does feel like there's this sort of constructive self-affirmation somewhere in there yeah. as well, you know, that, yeah. that, would yeah. be, that would be super, super helpful too. Especially if it's in a team environment, um, because you, you know, especially when a lot, a lot of clinicians, uh, a lot of doctors particularly have very strong inner self-critics. <laughs> mm -hmm. So that's another project that needs to be worked on. Um, but it's, it, it's a nice feeling if your colleagues also commend you. But now the issue is, will the doctor be open to receiving the, the good comment? That's another issue. <laughs> so there's I mean, lots of work on uh, for us then yes well it, it sounds like you've really um as you say developed a, a bit of a model there of of mm. how these these various factors all all play out what's what's next for you on on that front i mean is is there is there a project in the works in terms mm. of you know uh, helping to cultivate compassion amongst doctors where where, where yeah so so um, because of the PhD that I undertook with Nathan Considine, who's my supervisor, um, his lab currently has about six, seven or eight master's PhD students, mm. all looking into compassion and health. So that's, uh, so I, I actually feel, I'm, I'm not 100% accurate here probably, I think it's the biggest group at the moment um, looking at compassion in health, specifically yes. health. So that's, so that's ongoing. Um, in terms of my own um, practice or in my, in my own life, I mean, I deviated a little bit the past couple of years because what, what I've been focusing on is I, I do prison work. So I, do, uh, I run a meditation um, and emotional balance class in one of our high security prisons here in Auckland. So every Wednesday morning, I'm in, I'm in prison. <laughs> and, you know, I teach a lot of the inmates on mindfulness, but also compassion and also kindness to themselves, forgiving themselves. And for me, that's, that's the most rewarding thing I do every week. Some prisoners cry. Um, I don't do it all the time, make them cry. I'm scared. <laughs> they might beat me up. No, just joking. They, they're really kind to me. But the response of prisoners to, first of all, being aware of their thoughts and emotions, a lot of them are not. So being able to just be present with the breath and looking at the flow of experiences, it's just like mind boggling for many of them. Um, and some of them just express how how they've made little changes in their lives. Like after talking, you know, before they talk to their wives on the phone, usually they're stressed, they're angry, they're wondering, is she seeing someone now? But they will do a few breaths, sometimes wish meta to their wife. And then the actual phone call is positive. And they will say, oh my God, Tony, your breathing and meditation works. Um, so it's, it's quite an incredible feeling. So hopefully I'll do, do more of that, like um, penetrating the, the prison system. Mm -hmm. um, I, and I do a lot of work currently in the next month, few months or next year I'm getting, I, I do a lot of seminars, talks 
to different healthcare groups, doctors, nurses, medical students, social workers, talking about compassion, um, making it accessible to them, not, not, not this fluffy, airy feeling thing. But I, I like Paul Gilbert's model, approaching it from an evolutionary perspective, talking a little bit about the neuroscience, looking at the barriers that all of us want to care, but it's not possible, um, addressing the barriers and then talking about different practices that might enhance compassion. I talk a lot about your book um, <laughs> and the compassionatemind.co.uk website. Yes. Just because you know, there's, it's, there's so much out there that people actually don't know exists. Mm. Um, so lots of things going on. Yeah, I mean, you're really spreading the news. You know, you, you, you're a wonderful- I'm an, I'm an evangelist. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and um, I mean, I think it, it, it really stems from, you know, really that, that personal revelation that, that you came across experientially, you know, yeah. sort of mindfulness and meta, awareness and intention, you know, com compassion, uh, and, and really just uh, wanting to offer people the chance to kind of maybe have a feel for that too, you know, and, yeah. and, and that it, it, it can make uh, just very uh, dramatic changes for a person yeah. and for our relationships and, 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 and daily life. So I was going to ask you about maybe your three tips. Um, you know, so if, given that you really do do a lot of work with a, a whole range of, of different people that, that might be, you know, beginning their compassionate journey, what, what would be three tips there that, that you would offer them along the way? I'll offer tips that worked for me. Okay. <laughs> One is I th my mindfulness practice, I think being able to notice uh, moment by moment experiences, noticing that a lot of times we're dissatisfied, we have afflictive emotions, that there's a lot of suffering, the unreliability of life. You know, from mindfulness, we realize that, you know, all of us suffer, not just me, all of us suffer. So what I tend to do is to view others as exactly like me and that all of us are in the same shit called life. And we, we are 7 billion in this fellowship of suffering. <laughs> it sounds horrible. Fellowship of dukkha or suffering and dissatisfaction, but there's a way out. <laughs> so I, I remind myself of that, uh, on, on that regularly. Um, and then another tip is, you know, we, we have lots of dramas in life. We have lots of things to worry about. But what I've found helpful in my own practice when I'm stressed about a lot of things, is focusing constantly on myself. Oh, tell me this, what you can do. It's actually bottomless. It, you never get satisfied. But what I do is I also tell myself, Tony, all right, you have dramas at the moment, but who can you actually help today? Is there someone who you can, who, whose life you can make a little easy? Doesn't have to be massive, you know, but it can be deliberately being very pleasant to reception staff instead of the usual, hi, hey, how are you? 
making that deliberate effort to make their life a little easier. It can be, you know, buying flowers for the manager. I mean, it doesn't have to be expensive, but always asking myself, yep, Tony, life is hard at times, but all right, who can you make, whose life can you make a little easier? So I try to do that, particularly when, you know, there are dramas in life. And then lastly, you know, we, we talk about compassion and we want to be compassionate, but it's not that easy. It's not that easy all the time. Um, and that's what we found out in, in my PhD as well. You know, doctors want to be compassionate, but it's, there are a lot of forces that goes against compassion. Um, and that's where it's important to have a regular practice like meta, um, regular mindfulness practice, regular reminders, um, and little cues here and there, just to remind ourselves of, in, in my case, you know, my, my I don't wanna call my mission, but my essence for being human in this, in this earth for the next so many years, that's what I want to practice. That's what I want to concentrate on. Um, so that's where compassion motivation is being conscious of it. Yeah. I, I, you know, the first one is yes, the, 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 the mindfulness and awareness of suffering. And, you know, we, we really are, our species in a way is, 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 is kind of a fellowship of, of suffering, a fellowship of dukkha. And, uh, but there's a way out. And, and then secondly, <laughs> um, yeah, I really resonate with that idea. You know, focusing on myself and my own stresses is is bottomless. I, I know yeah. what you mean, and 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 really, you know, who can I actually help today? You know, it just shifts shifts the focus, shifts the spotlight. Yeah, and because uh, all of us are suffering, so might as well help someone else in the meantime. <laughs> yes, well, I will actually, and sometimes the answer of who can I actually help today might be me. It might be but, myself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then thirdly, you know, it, it, but it's also not easy. It's certainly not easy all the time. And there are, there are forces that, that can, can work against us. But regular practice, regular reminders, and little cues, you yeah. know, those, those can, can help us along the way. Well, no, those are, those are really wonderful tips. And so um, just finally, uh, if, if people were... You know, kind of wanting to, to be in touch or engage with you a little bit or your work. Is there any ways there that that, that people can find you? No. I just <laughs> <laughs> I'll be trying to hide in a cave somewhere and trying to be trying to practice non-self. <laughs> We've come no, back I'm, to I'm... the beginning of the conversation. <laughs> um, I'm on I'm on LinkedIn. Not that I check it all the time, but I'm on LinkedIn. And my email is easy as well. So Tony Fernando three, three because I'm Tony. I, my, my proper name is Antonio Tolentino Fernando the third. So Tony Fernando three at gmail.com. Okay. Easy. Yes. Yeah. Because there's a lot of stuff there. You know, people might absolutely be be interested in in, in kind of hearing more. So, but. Tony, thank you for being on Compassion in a T-shirt in session. Thank <laughs> I've you really, very much. It's been a delight to, to, to speak with you and to, to just really soak up your enthusiasm and, and, and good humour with it all, but, you know, plenty of wisdom as well. So thank you. Thank you very much.